Welcome to an emergency episode of True Crime Time. Just kidding. Not an emergency, but kind of. I'm your host, Megan. Our guest from last episode, my sister, has returned. Hello. I feel like we were just here talking about ham radios. Crazy. We were. Um, just in case anyone forgot, your name is Bonnie. That's that's who's sitting across the table from me. Um, we are going to do this bonus episode because they have arrested the alleged Long Island serial killers and a uh, killer one. As locals, we have a lot to say about it. The town he lives in is about 35, 40 minutes from here, our undisclosed um, dungeon location, which I'll not be saying anything further about. Uh, Southwest, pretty much. The facility he is currently being held in, the Suffolk County Correctional... Did I say that right? Suffolk County? County I've lived in my whole life? Yes. Suffolk County Correctional Facility is 34 minutes from here east. Yes. So we are right in the middle... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, we are. Of all this transportation situation. Um, I think what we should do first is describe for the listeners what Long Island is like. How long would you estimate that it takes to drive from one end to another? And I'm not talking about that. Queens and Brooklyn doesn't count as part of Long Island. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. How long do you think? From no traffic? I you mean, just got a chance to drive straight through. Yeah, but the, so like Brooklyn to Montauk, so I would say. Orient or or um, Orient. Be, uh, my would estimate maybe about three hours. Yeah, probably about that. Uh, and from North Shore to South Shore, it's about forty-five minutes. And I'm talking all the way to Jones Beach, like not like the edge, like yeah, Jones Beach is all the way down. Look it up on a map, people. I don't know what to tell you. Um, this is a place. It's packed with people. It's suburban. It's crowded, though. It's certain spots are. Certain spots are still kind of more rural if you go out east. Well, yeah, out east, though. But, you know. Um, it does get more congested the more west you head, like, towards New York City. Yeah. There is an element of small-town vibe out here. Everyone has a friend of a friend, no matter where you go. For example... When this news in specific broke, that they arrested this person, which we will get more into in a second, people immediately started messaging me, sending me videos of that neighborhood telling me, oh my God, someone I know um, lives on the street. Someone I work with lives three houses down. My friend lives two blocks away. So everyone knows someone. Um, I do want to note. Before we really get into it, I have not yet covered the Long Island serial killer case in detail. So what we are going to do today is basically just a summary as it relates to the latest breaking news of the suspect's arrest. I will cover this more comprehensively on another episode. And all my information comes from local news sources. News 12, New York Post, New York Times, right? Just as local as local local news gets. That's the News 12 slogan. So... The suspect they have named is Rex Hewerman. I think I said that as we discussed. I believe so. Hewerman? Okay. Who cares? Doesn't matter because he sucks. Horrendous. Allegedly, we can't say, you know, we're not accusing anyone. Kind of. So he, uh, he is 59 years old. He lives in Massapequa Park. I'll say that properly because people from here would say Massapequa Park, right? That's how you say that if you're from here. 
Uh, he lives in a house that has been in his family since childhood. Sale records do show that he purchased the house from his parents in the 90s. Rex, she said with disdain, is a Manhattan-based architect. Uh, he actually owns his own firm. And that's the first thing I want to note. Because these are the first things that I learned. They were showing his house on the news. The first thing. And I literally said, that's the house? Right. Right? <laughs> because it's essentially a rundown shack. Um, it's very, very rundown. It's, it's so much so that it that it stands out. It does stand out. So typically, if someone works in Manhattan, especially a commuter like like he is, was, we'll say, I don't know where he's going to be commuting other than to courthouses for a while. Right. Um, so he's traveling from Long Island to Manhattan for work. Probably on the train. Maybe he drives because he's got a bit, he's got a busy schedule. We don't know. But it typically means that that person is doing okay money-wise. So this house immediately stands out in a bad way, especially in that neighborhood. It's not necessarily like super rich, but I would say upper middle class. I'd say it's a nice middle to upper middle class it neighborhood does, it appears. Yeah, it varies over there from street to street almost, right? right? Some houses will have these huge, not like mansions, but like $800,000 houses, and other ones are more. Also, that's not a lot of money for a house on Long Island anymore. Say, that's not, I'm gonna say that's it's not very much, but um, no. But like, but everyone's house looks decent or like updated, and that's you know whatever. So what he has done, which is weird, because I've heard theories about oh he's trying to blend in, he doesn't want to attract attention, but I feel like his house looks like a scary person lives there. It draws attention because <laughs> it is so run down. I think. Yeah. Didn't you tell me or someone told me that um, they had heard from the neighbor that, like, he doesn't mow the lawn? Oh, Did you no, hear that? That was not for me. No, I had not heard that. Yeah, someone's, someone else had told me that, um, which is just another thing. If you're trying to blend in, you don't want your house to look like the haunted house that, like, people don't. They're like, oh, like, don't go there. You're drawing attention. Yeah. I actually heard another story yesterday about the neighbor um on news 12 our local news um that he had a run-in with one of his neighbors his neighbor was being interviewed his next door neighbor actually and he had words with rex Huerman because he caught his wife caught him peeping over at her in the backyard over the back fence while she was sunbathing oh yes okay sorry again We are not doing a very good job of a good job of reserving judgment, as you can tell, (laughs) but, but there's a reason for that. And I'm going to tell you what that is, but not yet. So I was saying to you the other day, this is something that we, uh, we talked about that if that's your neighbor in your neighborhood, wouldn't you just, wouldn't you think it was strange? Like you don't assume that person's a murderer, certainly, but you're like, Hmm. Good old Rex, my neighbor, he owns an architecture firm. His house looks like that, right? Like, even as just the neighbor, it's just kind of like a weird... Yeah. It's just like a little... It doesn't... It seems like it doesn't add up. (laughs) Yeah, it just seems a little weird. In this context, I feel like it's different than, like, just noticing your neighbor has, like, a shitty job of upkeep or whatever. So, 
what I'm going to do for you all, I possess the non-redacted version of the bail document, and I'm going to share some highlights for you. If you hear noise in the background, that is the air conditioner. I will not apologize for not sweating to hospital levels of dehydration. Um, I apologize. So I just said I wasn't going to apologize. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so um, I want to read some some bits of this to you because this is basically how I got all the answers to my immediate questions. I'll be honest, I didn't have high hopes that there would ever be any kind of resolution in this case because there was no evidence. So when the news broke, that's what both of us were saying immediately. What do they have? What do they have? Right? So I'm going to go in order. The first piece of business in the bail document is the charges. So he was charged with murder in the first degree um, for the death of Melissa Bartholomew. 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 That's how I said it initially, but I second guessed myself. Murder in the first degree for the death of Megan Waterman. Murder in the first degree of Amber Costello. Murder uh, in the second degree of Melissa Bartholomew. Murder in the second degree for Megan Waterman. So multiple murder charges. Um, and I think... No, there's another murder in the second degree. He was charged in murder in the first and second degree for all three, uh, all four victims. Three. I misspoke. Uh, Amber Costello was the last murder in the second degree. So, just to give a little background, this is what it states under discovery of the victims. On December 11th, 2010, police officer John Malia was conducting a training exercise with his canine partner, Blue along Ocean Parkway in Gilgo Beach, Suffolk County, New York. During the course of the training exercise, Blue located a set of human remains. The remains were later identified to be those of Melissa Bartholomew. Two days later, on December 13, 2010, the SCPD continued to search in proximity to where the remains of Melissa Bartholomew were recovered. On that date, members of the SCPD found three additional sets of human remains within one quarter mile of the first discovery. These three additional sets of remains were identified as those of uh, Maureen Brainard Barnes, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. The cause of death of all four women was determined to be homicidal violence. The investigation into these deaths were linked in addition to other factors. The victims each appeared to have been placed in close proximity to one another, 22 to 33 feet from the edge of the parkway. All were petite females, approximately 22 to 27 years old, believed to be working as sex workers. All had missing clothing and personal possessions. All had been killed by homicide. All had contact shortly before the disappearance with a person using a burner cell phone. So those little, what was that old like phone company that always used to have those burner phones? There was like one specific like crappy little I don't know. I can't I think remember. of it. I can't think of it. Um, but so this guy, this person, we'll say, uh, used a burner or multiple burner phones um, for this. They also say that cell phones of two of the four victims, Brainard Barnes and Bartholomew, were used by the killer after their deaths. 
In addition, each of the four victims were found similarly positioned, bound in a similar fashion by either belts or tape, with three of the victims found wrapped in a burlap-type material. So, it needs to be said that this was triggered by someone else going missing in the area. I think it's important to have the full picture Mm -hmm. here. Right. So we and we have been debating this. So tell me if we're wrong. Shannon or Shanann? I thought it was Shannon. Shannon. I've heard Shannon. It's spelled like Shannon, but I believe it is Shannon. Gilbert. Yes. So Shannon Gilbert went missing in the Gilgo Beach area. And they were actually looking for her. That's how this all began. So they're looking for her. They don't find her, though. They find these other people. And then it it was on. I remember that. I know you remember that. That was crazy. Yeah. Where they shut down these, uh, this, like, causeway, I guess they kind of call it. Or is it a highway over there? Uh, it's a parkway. Ocean Parkway. There you go. Yes. So Ocean Parkway, where they shut it down, and it's just loaded up with police activity and dogs, mm-hmm. cute dogs, doing great jobs. Um, and it was on the news every day. They're just looking and looking and looking. It also needs to be said that even though we're not discussing them at this time, there were several other sets of remains found in that area. Um, none of those are people, none of those victims, I'll say, um, are listed on this document at this time. There's no charges at this time. But you never know what's going to happen because we didn't know there was any evidence to link this person or a person to these as it goes. So you have to kind of wait and see. This is a bit of a wait and see situation. Right. I'm sure they're looking into, I would imagine that they're looking into all possible connections to these other victims. And there were 10 total victims? 10 in total. 10 in total, including the ones we have named. Correct. Yes. Yes, and I believe that Shannon was the last one that was found. Is that correct? I believe so, if memory serves. Um, So now we get to the part, this is what I was dying for. I was scrolling this document like, what happened? So the recent investigation, in January 2022, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office assigned an experienced team of investigators, analysts, and prosecutors to work jointly with the enforcement partners from the Suffolk County Police Department, New York State Police Department, Suffolk County, why can't I say Suffolk County today? Suffolk County Sheriff's Office, this is a county I've lived in my whole life, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, so the goddamn FBI. A comprehensive review of every item of evidence and information to the investigation was undertaken by the team, in other words, a task force. On March 14, 2022, approximately two months into the renewed joint investigation, the comprehensive review led to the discovery of a first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche that was registered to defendant Rex A. Hewerman at the time of these murders. As described below, this was significant because a witness to the disappearance of Amber Costello identified a first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche as the vehicle believed to have been, uh, been driven by her killer. So this discovery is what prompted everything. So they're like, "Mm, that's interesting. Let's take a look into that. Um, 
So the discovery, this is wild. The discovery led to a comprehensive investigation of the defendant, which consisted of over 300 subpoenas, search warrants, and other legal processes to obtain evidence. As discussed more fully, among the items uncovered were cell phone billing records corresponding to cell site locations for one, the burner cell phones used to arrange meetings with three of the four victims, two, the taunting calls made to a relative of Miss Bartholomew, three, a call made by a detective to Miss Bartholomew's cell phone while looking into her disappearance, and four, calls checking voicemail on Miss Brainard Barnes's cell phone after her disappearance. Wow. <laughs> so I'm reading this and I was like, yeah, this is yeah a lot. Because again, from having nothing, there's nothing. And all of a sudden there's everything. Yeah. So that's just like. It's incredible because it's like he went on conducting his life as if because he was using a burner phone, there was no way anyone could track what he was doing with these phones at all. Which is very silly of him. That's very silly. But thank God. I mean, if not. Thank God he is an idiot. Yeah. Is the. Right. So. As. Oh, this is interesting. Huerman lives in, as I mentioned, Massapequa Park, where they have to say it during the press conference just like that or they get in trouble. The victims were believed to have disappeared from Massapequa Park. And he worked in Midtown Manhattan in the vicinity where the taunting calls were made. Also, he is believed to be the person who used the burner cell phones to communicate with each of the four victims prior to their disappearance, as well as used Mrs. Brain, uh, Ms. Brainard Barnes's cell phone and Miss Bartholomew's cell phone after their deaths. Both defendant and these burner cell phones had significant connections to both Midtown Manhattan and Massapequa Park. So they're just giving you the tie-in, tying it all together nicely for us. Yes. Um, don't you work in... In Midtown, Manhattan? I, I do. As it turns out, um, I my office is about five blocks away from, from where he works. So it's kind of a scary thought. Who are you passing every day in your day-to-day life that it, you know can be capable of doing such horrible, horrible things like this over potentially many, many, many years? Many, many years. Right. So... The first disappearance they discuss in this document is the murder, the disappearance and murder of Maureen Brainard Barnes. She was last seen on July 9, 2007 in New York City. At the time, she was believed to be working as a sex worker. On July 6, 2007, her cell phone was contacted by a burner cell phone. Between July 6 and July 9th, there were 16 interactions between the burner phone and Brainard Barnes's cell phone. On July 9th, the last cell site location for that cell phone was at approximately 11.56 p.m. in Midtown Manhattan near the 59th Street Bridge. She, or the phone rather, had no further activity until July 12th. On July 12th, three days after her disappearance, two outbound calls were made from the cell phone checking her voicemail from a cell site location near the LIE in Islandia which is very close to someone I know. Yes. That's a little, little creepsy. Yeah. So they go on to discuss the disappearance of, uh, and murder of Melissa Bartholomew. She was last seen July 10th, 2009 in New York city. 
At the time, she was believed to be working as a sex worker. On July 3rd, 2009, she was contacted by Burner Cell Phone. So seeing a little bit of a pattern. Um, the cell phone was contacted by a Burner Cell Phone on July 6th, July 9th, and July 10th, 2009, which was the last day she was seen alive. On July 10th, the cell site records indicate the Burner Cell Phone traveled from Massapequa Park to Midtown Manhattan. Later that evening, her cell phone traveled from Midtown Manhattan to Massapequa, with the last cell location being in Massapequa on July 11 at approximately 1.43 a.m. Then, on July 11th, the cell phone was used to make an outbound call checking her voicemail from a cell site location in Freeport. So really traveling all over, mm-hmm. traveling all over town. And then it says... The phone made two more outbound calls checking her voicemail from cell site locations in Babylon. So really... Interesting. This probably doesn't make a lot of sense without looking at a map, but it's weird. It's che- in, check yeah, it out. several different you. towns, <laughs> North Shore, South Shore. Um, and, you know, being as his business, I it uh, seems was mainly focused in the boroughs. I heard about projects he had in Brooklyn and Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his office was in Manhattan, so he really was traveling Long Island a whole lot. I a lot. Mean, Putting a lot of miles on that avalanche. A lot of miles on the avalanche and, and you know, presumably meeting up with other other people. Yeah. Other ladies. So on July 17th, July 23rd, August 5th, August 19th, and August 26th, um, the Bartholomew phone made taunting phone calls to her family members, some of which resulted in a conversation between the caller, who was a male, um... And a relative of Miss Bartholomew, in which the male caller admitted killing and sexually assaulting Miss Bartholomew. Um, so horrible. It's really. It's the worst. It's the worst thing. It's the worst. It's thing you the can worst imagine. thing. And am I allowed to state who that person was? Because I did see who that person was. Yeah, sure. It's her younger sister. So he was calling her younger sister from her sister's cell phone and describing all these terrible things to her. And I saw, I was watching, um, re-watching, I should say, a 48 Hours episode of this the other day. And one of the things she said to the sister was, are you going to be a whore like your sister was? And then went on to say all of these things. Okay. Quote, unquote. Okay. Not going to comment on that because it makes me mad. Terrible. But <laughs> Terrible. Okay. Um, a thing that you, you all should know about me is sometimes when I'm mad, I laugh. So I'm not laughing because something's funny. But if I – it's almost like a joker thing <laughs> where I start feeling a little rageful. Anyway, that's just a little fact about me. Um, the disappearance and murder of Megan Waterman – so Megan Waterman was last seen alive at the Holiday Inn in Hopog, New York, on June 6, 2010, at approximately 1.30 a.m. At the time, she was believed to be working as a sex worker. On June 5, 2010, her cell phone was contacted by another burner cell phone, which had just been activated that day. Um, after that, the Waterman phone communicated with the burner cell phone on June 6, approximately 1.31 a.m., which is around the time that she was captured on video surveillance, leaving the Holiday Inn in Hopog for the last time. Following this communication, the burner cell phone had no further phone activity. However, cell site records show that the Waterman phone traveled to Massapequa Park, 
with the last cell site location being in Massapequa Park at approximately 311 in the vicinity of the residence of defendant Hewerman. I don't even want to say his name right because no. I don't feel like he deserves it. No. Again, innocent until proven guilty, but the evidence is mounting up. Right? I mean, so much commonality in all of these cases with all of these different oh, yeah. components. Oh, yeah. So this one's a little bit different, but it's very interesting. So the disappearance and murder of Amber Costello. She was last seen alive on September 2nd, 2010, leaving her residence um, in West Babylon. I'm not going to give the address. At the time, she was believed to be working as a sex worker. On September 1st, 2010, the day prior to the disappearance, her cell phone was contact, uh, contacted by a burner cell phone on September 1st, 2010. The burner cell phone had communication um, with the Costello phone at 11.33 p.m. During those communications, the burner cell phone con- uh, connected to cell site towers in West Amityville and Massapequa Park. Therefore, the burner cell phone traveled, or thereafter, my apologies, traveled to West Babylon uh, in the proximity of the residence of Amber Costello and had contact with the Costello phone at 12.05 a.m. So this is one where there's witnesses to some to something, right? According to witnesses, around the time of these communications, um, a prostitution client showed up at Miss Costello's residence in West Babylon. After the client entered the home, a ruse was executed on the client whereby a person pretended to be the outraged boyfriend of Amber and the client left from the residence. While Amber uh, retained the money the client had brought to pay for her services. Based upon interviews, the client was described as a large white male, approximately 6'4 to 6'6 in height, in his mid-40s with dark bushy hair and big oval-style 1970s type eyeglasses, which can I just say, murderers are still wearing the same freaking glasses. Yeah. Can we pick a new style? Like, Jesus Christ. It's anyway. Very disturbing. A witness described him police, uh, to police as appearing like an ogre. Furthermore, a witness noticed the first-generation Chevrolet Avalanche parked in the driveway. According to the witness following the ruse, the client said he was just her friend. Tell her I'll give her a call and walked out the front door. Um, at approximately 1.18 a.m., after this show right after the little show they put on the burner cell phone sent a message to the costello phone which stated that was not nice to do that was not nice so do i credit for next time that's actually what it says i don't understand right um phone records show that the burner phone was located in massapequa park within two minutes of this text message being sent according to a witness later the next day she was again contacted by the same client that was in the house the night before with the avalanche. He told Amber or Amber told them, the witness that he wanted to see her again, but he didn't want to come back to the house because of her boyfriend, which again, like interesting to follow up in that situation where it's like awkward and there's like a right exchange. And right. like, you know, that also people would be looking for this person. There are people that care about this person. Right. And you still are like, you know what? No. Which, and I also wonder if he's was mad. That's what I was just going to say, that he was like, oh, you think you're going to get one over on right? me? Right, I'll show you, because he did seem, from what we've heard, to have that type of personality. Like a switch personality. Yes, yeah. absolutely. 
All I'm doing is thinking of that interview video. I so, did you listen to the whole thing? Yeah. Blech. So there's a an interview somewhere on YouTube that someone uh someone from some architecture thing like just interviewed him in Manhattan from like y- years ago, right? And the- it it it's, seemed to be pretty old. I don't know when it was done, but it seemed to be from looking at it from the quality, it seems yeah. to be kind of old. Yeah, but you can see how he talks and his mannerisms and and things like that. So I don't know, because some people are claiming, oh, he talks about certain tools and hammers and shit like that. And that's circumstantial at best, but you can still see the way he talks and you can kind of get a feel for the type of person he might be. You can. And he's on his best behavior because he's in front of a camera and he still thinks he's like the smartest guy in the room. So it's just interesting um very that's exactly the impression that i that i get from yeah him. yeah and and from other stories that have been coming out in our local news and our local paper about interactions that he has had with people right um so back to the costello case um on september 2nd at approximately 9.32 p.m., the same burner cell phone from the previous evening again communicated with the Costello phone. During this communication, the burner cell phone used a cell site location in Midtown Manhattan. Following the communication, the burner cell phone traveled to Massapequa Park, had contact with the Costello phone again at 10.39 and 11.05. Then cell site records indicate that at 11.17, the phone traveled to West Babylon in proximity to the residence of Amber again um subsequently amber left her own cell phone behind walked out the front door and was seen alive for the last time so that's just it's just the word it's real again it's the worst thing that could ever happen Mm -hmm. it's the worst thing that could ever happen so shortly after she left the house a witness observed a dark colored truck past the house specifically coming from the direction amber had walked records establish that the defendant's wife was out of New York for the disappearances of Bartholomew, Waterman, and Costello. So, it's neither here nor there where she went. Like, they do detail it Mm -hmm. just to, you know, but again, it's neither here nor there. It's none of our business, (laughs) essentially. To him, it was a good opportunity to... Allegedly. It was a good opportunity. Allegedly a good opportunity to go out and do, you know, awful things. And I... For the Amber, if for Amber Costello, I feel so bad because there either must have been some level of trust or she just was so desperate to make some additional money that she met up with him, you know, again, despite what had happened the prior day. Right. So. During the times of disappearances and murders, defendant. As we mentioned, he he owns an architectural business in Midtown. And the business was the name subscriber of his cell phone. So he registered like his private phone, you know, to the business. It was it was shown active during the times of the victim's disappearances and subscribed to his home address in Massapequa Park. Although cell site records from this time period no longer existed. Investigators obtained cellular cellular billing records which showed general location information for his cell phone. A review of these records, as well as his American Express records, show numerous instances 
where he was located in the same general locations as the burner cell phones. Um, you And it says specifically used to contact victims Bartholomew, Waterman, and Costello, as well as the use of Brainard Barnes's and Bartholomew's cell phones when they were used to check voicemail and make taunting calls. Mm-hmm. So they're so far, honestly, I was like, oh, shit, they're doing a really good job of tying this all together. They absolutely are. And thank God for all of this cell data. Right. So basically, the, the document goes on to detail more about specific cell locations and, like, tracing them to where he is. And they're, like, triangulating the data. It's all very CSI um, and awesome. If you can ch- take a look at this document... You can see all the maps and everything they have. It's really interesting. Um, I'm not going to go through the, all that in detail and take up your time. Um, so what happened next was they're doing a really comprehensive investigation. And they located a number of online accounts and cell phones, more burners, linked to... Hewerman, but they were held by him in a fictitious name and used for illicit activities. So his American Express records um, revealed Google Pay payments um, made by him to Tinder, an online dating... Wait, I want to hear how they describe Tinder. I'm very interested. It says, an online dating and geosocial networking applications used to find dates or hookups. It says that in quotes. Within a user's immediate vicinity. Um, records were then obtained from Tinder. So watch out if you're doing some shit on Tinder because they can get your records. Which revealed that the Tinder profile was set up in the name Andy, which is his middle name, Andrew, Dobie, with links to a burner cell phone, which actually lists the number. I'm not telling you what it is because this is redacted, as I mentioned, except in front of my eyes right now. Um, Subscribed in the fictitious name of Andrew Roberts using an email account, which I will also not tell you. Um, and that's linked to another burner and another zip code, et cetera. So it's showing from Verizon. They really, they got everyone on this. Um, his cell phone was used on December 11th for a period of over three hours to access a fictitious AOL account. Hmm. But like in 2022, who's using AOL? right well red flag a 60 year old man who thinks he can get away with anything just by using a burner phone i guess okay but your house looks like that you're using aol like red flag no just no um then records obtained from t-mobile so using every phone service imaginable um so another burner phone was used on multiple dates to access the account above so all these fictitious accounts, right? So he has tons of burners. He has tons of emails and AOL accounts and probably like hotmail.com accounts, like whatever weird shit you can have. And he just thinks that's all you need to do to get away with doing something so horrendous. Well, like in, in 1989, maybe. Right. But it's not. Right. No, not in, not in 2023. Right. So our view of call of records for these two additional burner phones revealed that both cell phones were used extensively between 2021 and 2023 for prostitution related contacts. 
Um, and it says either with sex workers or massage parlors. So he was just hitting up everyone everywhere. Um, let's see. So more talk about burner sites and their locations. Both for these two specific burner phones had the same showing in Massapequa Park and New York City. So then they served Google. This is so wild. They served Google because everyone knows Google saves your search history. So stop looking at weird shit. Many people have been caught by their Google search history. Right. So this search turns up even yet another burner, kind of like a burner email, they said. And what is a burner email? Just like a fake email, but with a fake name where he called himself Thomas Hawk. Like, stop it. Stop it. So this account was used to conduct thousands of searches related to sex workers, sadistic, torture-related pornography, and child pornography, including... Now listen to me very carefully. I'm not going to read you this list. (laughs) It's really... It's not good. I'll give you some of the most PG search titles I can find, which is not PG. I see chubby 10-year-old girl, girl with face beat up, 13-year-old school girl, blonde hair, young girl depressed, um, nude slave girls, school girl. So you got, you got the idea. There's many other way more horrendous things he searched, but that's just... You know, that's just like if we're on the scale, those are the least terrible. So this, this is something though. His email for Tony, Tony Hawk, whatever, Thomas Hawk. Thomas Hawk. (laughs) He's clothing as a skateboarder. Is that what he did? I don't know. I'm old. Tony Hawk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think I meant Rex Heerman. I was like, no. He was definitely not a skateboarder. No. No. So he looked up these searches as well. Many hundreds of searches, but why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer? Why hasn't the Long Island serial killer been caught? Long Island serial killer. Long Island serial killer phone call. Long Island serial killer update. Long Island serial killer update 2022. FBI active serial killers. Serial killers by state 2023. Map of all known serial killers. Unsolved serial killer cases. Are we seeing a theme? Uh, absolutely. And as people that live on Long Island, people were certainly interested in this case. Um, not enough to sit and Google it uh, 200, what was it? Was it 200 times in a span of a couple of months or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. He also Googled um, the victims named above. He also Googled John Bitroff, which I believe is another serial killer for New York. He was a so, uh, not a suspect, but he was someone that people suspected of perhaps having some involvement. Okay. So he's probably like, oh, this guy's like stealing my shit. Why do people think it's me or whatever? So he also Googled cops launch Gilgo Beach homicide investigation task force mapping the Long Island murder victims, the Gilgo Beach killer criminal minds. In Long Island serial killer investigation, new phone technology may key may be key to break the case. So that's just a taste of the other kinds of searches 
that he did. Yes, and I'm just going to restate you were correct. He was a serial killer. Yeah. He was. Yes. That's Yeah, I thought I read there that. There was a, a third person I was thinking of. Yes. So either further damning, a search warrant conducted on one of his fi- uh, his fictitious AOL account, which again, like what? Um, actually revealed selfies he took of himself, which appear to have been taken and sent to other people when he was like trying to hit them up for their services. Like, this is what I look like, I guess, or whatever. Oh, were any of those in his Tinder profile? Do we have pictures from his Tinder profile? You know, I was just saying before we started, I'm going to restate it. And I don't mean this how it's going to sound. I'm on Tinder all the time. I am constantly window shopping. I don't only stay in one place. Why have I never come across this person? Unless he was one of those people with like the fake. Sometimes people put up like a, almost like a meme or like a picture of like their yard. And they'll be like pictures once Um, we connect or something like that. Right. I did consider though that perhaps my age range wasn't set quite that high. I would hope not. Listen. As your sister, I would hope that's not what you're looking for. Not a 59-year-old man who lives in a shanty. and to be a little much. Massapequa for A little much. Listen, he has architect money. He just doesn't spend it on his house. He just spends it going out to massage parlors. Oh, my God. He also, he was actually also linked, um, because they were like, in addition to finding his information with the burners... They did actually notice him going into, I believe it was a T-Mobile store, I believe, and buying more minutes for the burner phones. That's something they actually have. They have pictures, um, surveillance, which they included in the document. It does look like T-Mobile. There's a lot of information here about how they connected the phones to him and so on. So like I said, if you can get a look at this, document it's very interesting there is detailed analysis about what the labs found on the victims i don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of their injuries and and so forth just out of you know respect i will tell you i will tell you on maureen brainard barnes they were able to find a female human hair. Um, it did correspond with Caucasian head hair fragment, and it was not suitable for nuclear DNA profiling at the time. It was subsequently submitted for further DNA evidence. So I believe that was determined to be his wife's hair. Well, subsequently, they did do labs because they found if they didn't find just one hair, they found a few hairs across a few of the different victims. Right. Um, so the, there was a female hair on Barnes, two female hairs on Waterman, and a female hair on Costello. They were all sent to an outside forensic laboratory. And they used um, DNA techniques and um, genome sequencing. Very interesting, intricate um, science that I will not explain to you because my brain is not smart enough to break it down. But 
Yeah, very interesting. And not available when this investigation started. Not so available. If, it, if not for all of these advances, right. um, they wouldn't have been able to to find, you know, to link anyone's DNA to these hairs at this point. Right. So July 2022, they were able to determine that each of the aforementioned female hairs recovered on the three victims each belonged to a female individual in mitochondrial haplogroup K1C2, and that this female was not any of the victims. Now, this doesn't make sense right now, but give me just a minute, and I'll tell you. So, on or about July 21st, 2022, the undercover SCPD detective recovered 11 bottles from a trash receptacle, which, can I say, is my favorite thing. I love when they do that. Yeah. You throw out the trash? Well, now it's free in the road. I'll just go get it from you, like a little justice raccoon. (laughs) That's that's beautiful. Um, They took a swab of the bottles, and they were sent to the lab for profiling. So... They were able to conclude that one of the DNA profiles generated from the aforementioned bottles taken from defendant Huerman's residence indicated a female individual belonging to mitochondrial haplogroup K1C2. It's the same mitochondrial haplogroup as the female hairs recovered in the three victims. So, the profile was then compared against the previously tested female hair sample recovered on the remains of Megan Waterman, which indicated that the two belonged to the same individual or somebody closely related. Based upon the investigation and evidence recovered to date, the females believed to be the wife of defendant Hewerman. So, so yeah. Crazy. So they did another, there's another lab set they did. Um, where they were specializing in forensic mitochondrial analysis for additional testing, right? On or about June 12, 2023, so this is very, wow, recent, very recent, Um, a report was issued concluding that the DNA sample from the female recovered from the bottles outside the, revid- uh, the residence of defendant Hewerman and the female hair on Costello indicated that the mitochondrial DNA profiles are the same at all compared positions common to and between samples specifically at a rate that would per looks like the MPOP database exclude 99.98 of the North American population from the female hair on Costello. So you can understand why it's difficult to talk about him without your voice dripping with disdain. Right. There's so much evidence. Very, very powerful. It's very, very powerful. So they did find a male hair. I did mention that. Um, I believe it was found on the burlap that was used on one of the victims. It was submitted for DNA analysis like we talked about. This hair was determined to belong to a male in mitochondrial haplogroup V7A, which sounds very short and very specific. Um, oh, gosh, I love this part. I'm sorry. I just like this part. Ready? Yeah. Following the discovery of the Chevy Avalanche, which was registered to defendant, and the investigation of cellular billing records on or about January 26, 2023, a surveillance team observed a recovered uh, and recovered a pizza box thrown away 
by the defendant into a garbage can located in front of blah, blah. It gives the exact address. I almost told you exactly what it was. It's in Manhattan. It's fine. The pizza box was sent to the Suffolk County Crime Laboratory where a swab was taken from the leftover pizza crust, which again, real New Yorkers eat the crust. You live with your shame. Period. Period. We don't claim him. On March 23rd, they send a swab from the pizza crust. Abandons, they wrote, abandoned by <laughs> defendant Heuerman. On April 28th, the detective hand-delivered a portion of male hair um, that was found on Megan Waterman for testing. The lab was able to determine the male hair on the um, that was found on Waterman and the swab from the pizza would exclude 99.96 of the North American population. I love that. From the hair. I love that. That's what he gets for throwing away his pizza. Absolutely. So, in conclusion, I mean, do I have to say it? This is really powerful. And I love this. I love this DNA evidence. Like, I love the testing of the hair. And the pizza and, you know, tying it all to the victims because it's like, you, how can you, how can you argue that you, it's not your hair or your, you know, how can you argue that? What's your argument? You can't argue against the haplo group. Planted? Right. You can't do it. Right. Someone planted that pizza. I've been framed. Right. Ugh. He probably ate some weird-ass pizza, too. He like, took pictures of him throwing the pizza in the garbage. No, but there was a picture of the pizza box with the crust in it. Yes, I, I There was a picture of the trash can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this took a picture of the trash can. But, yeah, so basically... I if he knew he was being followed. I heard that he did not know that he was being followed around at all. Like, he didn't have any suspicion that people were following him for probably a really long... That, to me, speaks to the ego. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I'm, I yeah. can use my Hotmail account all I want, and they'll never find and out. Like Thomas Hawk email account and Tony, everything else. Tony Hawk email. Yeah, but no, I really wanted to share those pieces of the bail document with everyone because those are the most compelling. I couldn't say it any better than they did, and yeah. I did not plagiarize them. It is a public record. I did change every other word about. Right? That's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's good enough. Very, very, very compelling very compelling very compelling as evidence but so now i don't know if they're still doing it but at least for the last several days they've been going through the house are they still going through they the house they are still going through the house shit yeah um so the other day i found and i feel like this is this could simply be this could be anyone's they found this creepy doll in like a case yes they did and they're I, they show them carrying it out but it's like Wallace creepy, like a doll. He has a doll, whatever. He has like a wife. Maybe she likes dolls. Like, I don't know. It's entirely possible. Um, but there has to be a reason they would. I don't, I don't think that they went into his daughter's room and took a doll out of the room. Like maybe it was somewhere that seemed out of place or, um, you know, I mean, it's certainly possible. Yeah. It's possible. There, it, That house must be a treasure trove. Do you think it smells inside? Yeah. I mean, I would just say, while we're talking about this, and this, this is wild, right? His poor family. His poor family. Because no matter 
And we don't know. We don't know what he was like to them. We don't know if he was like the perfect dad, right? Even if he was like an unimaginable shit, you would never imagine that this is your dad, right? Like that this is your husband. Absolutely That's like whatever. And all because he threw away pizza. That they would be capable that the person that you were married to or the person, you know, or your parent is capable of doing these terrible things. I know. And I wonder, well, well, we'll come, I'll come back to that. But so they also found guns in the house, quite a, quite a bunch, right? I think I read he had something like 90 something permits, individual permits for guns. Oh, I did not hear about the permits. Well, you have to permit each one. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think so. I think so. But I heard that there were 200 guns recovered. That is what I heard. So maybe somewhere we go. I don't, I don't know the logistics of that. I didn't see a lot of detail, just that there were guns. They were in a locked room, which is not weird in and of itself, because that's typically what you do. You lock up your guns. You know, I heard something else about that locked room. I actually heard that this story. The doll was in it. (laughs) Well, maybe she was. Maybe he or she was. I'm not sure. But I heard a story today. There was an interior decorator that was hired by him or by the family. Um, judging by the look of his house, it must have been quite some time ago. Um, to redecorate the inside of the house. And so she's going around the house Uh-oh. with him and I know they go happen. in the basement yeah. and, um, he kind of just has this very strong reaction. No, 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 you can't go in there. And she said she thought that was very strange because she was redecorating the entire house, and that was the only space in the entire house that he told her that she could not go in, and very adamantly. I also feel like it's strange, like, even if you don't want them to touch it, to be like, no, 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 don't go in there, versus like, oh, this is my blank room, you know, I don't really want to do anything with it, it right suspicious. now. It's, yeah. it's not great. It does seem very it's suspicious. Not, it's not great. So there also was a story that came out, and I do hesitate to... I never want to discredit people who say they have an experience, but when something like this comes out, there's wild rumors flying around, people saying all kinds of things that maybe never happened or exaggerating. But someone did say, um, an escort said she went with him to a restaurant, like on a date. He had wanted to meet her or like pick her up or something. Right. And she was like, no, no, thank you. And he got so creepy and was actually asking about, he was like, do you like true crime? What about, like, the Long Island serial killer? And he was asking her about it. And she wound up being like, I'm not going anywhere with you. And she wound up leaving. But, yeah, you have to follow your instinct. If someone is creeping you out, you need to just get away from that person. Right. And like I said, I do take those stories with a grain of salt just because everyone's kind of trying to have, like, a, you know. That's very true. A moment. That's very true. I also heard a similar story about someone that he had been um, in business with through the course of his architecture business and he was uh, or she was driving him back to long island rather and oh, she i know he, this one yeah. yeah yeah go ahead and he just brought up during their drive you know have you heard about the you know gilgo beach killings and all the girls that they found um why do you think he used burlap and asking her all of these questions about it and kind of picking her brain about it and she got very very creeped out that's very strange because you also, I don't know. Uh, 
never I never mind. I like I I can't even there's so much with this guy. And there's, there's so much more. So much to unpack. There's, there's so much we're gonna learn. I'm gonna keep doing updates here and there. Maybe not standalone updates, but like within other episodes. Um but I do want to mention what I was saying about his family, right? And like did they notice anything? Was he like a fucker? Like what? Like right. what was the vibe in the house? But with that being said, his wife just filed for divorce. So that tells me she believes it. Right. She believes it. Because why would she get divorced right now? To immediately file for a divorce, kind of, it seems like this is making sense. It, it This isn't out of the realm of possibility for her. No, like, like, or maybe, you know, it's, it's definitely possible too. And I don't want to think for her or whatever, because I'm sure she's going through a lot and they're going through a lot. But it's even possible maybe... Maybe she really had no idea and he was fine. But then when she saw the evidence, she was like, oh, my God. And it just clicked for her, you know? That's very possible. Yeah. Well. it's we, we really don't know. And, you know, there's going to be a long healing process for, for that family. And maybe they'll share their stories with us one day or maybe they won't. And that's totally up to them and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something interesting we were talking about the other day that I want to discuss again. So, the most liked suspect for this prior to this break was a man by the name of James? James Burke. James Burke, who was the, what? Former police chief, who is the former police chief of Suffolk County. He is the former police chief of Suffolk County. He was? (laughs) So she's a little better with this kind of stuff than I am because I don't, I'm not like involved in like local politics. It's just like a mess. I'm not like, I don't want to hear about it. It just makes me mad. But if you guys remember the story about him, if you've listened to a zillion of any podcast about it, because everyone liked him for it. And they would talk about how he went to jail because he assaulted some man who stole a duffel bag out of his car that was just full of like, I think it was full of just like porn and like sex toys. And, and was there anything else? Yes, in there? that's correct. Um, clothes. <laughs> the, the least interesting, the thing. least interesting thing was just his clothes, but he actually like chased this man down and just like beat the shit out of him, he beat the shit out of him in the police precinct. Yeah, that's not... It's a long process. That's not great. Yeah. So the the man has a little bit of a rage thing happening. Um, He went to jail for that. He did. He did go to jail for that. He's out now. Still local. Yeah. Please don't... Please don't... I've heard he's... Send us any any emails. (laughs) No. Um, We're not saying you did anything. But he was the most liked for it. He was because he himself had a long history... Of um, hanging out with sex workers. He was actually caught having relations with a sex worker in his police car before he was police chief. Oh, my God. Before um, he was police chief? Yes. And they before. still promoted him? Correct. They're like, we like your style. Correct. <laughs> yes. Because That's crazy. he had some um, powerful friends in important positions at the time. Wow. Um. And must yeah. be nice. Yeah. And so when he was in charge of this investigation, which was during part of 
part of the investigation. Um, when he was police chief, he actually went so far as to call off the FBI from assisting in this, which did draw a lot of suspicion to him. Um, but it's possible that because of his various dealings and associations with drugs and his own actions with sex workers and, you know, other things of the like, um, that he just didn't want any attention on him. I mean, independently, just looking at those facts, it rationally makes sense that he would be a, he would have been a suspect. Right. Right. Even if he wasn't a murderer and he's just like, just like not a great like civil servant. Right. I'll say. Um, so that's interesting. But didn't you say he had a link? Like there was someone else. He did. Who was, was involved. Yeah. So with was, that, not, I'm not talking about the murders. I want to make a, make it clear. I'm saying with, Kind of like the corruption. His friend, yeah. So one of his uh, more powerful friends. So um, back in the late 70s, there was a, a terrible murder that took place in a town near us behind an elementary school. Uh, oh. A young boy was killed. And I believe James Burke was uh, perhaps a witness. He was involved in, not involved in the in the killing. Was he a student? Well, he was young. He lived in that neighborhood. There's a school in that neighborhood where he grew up. Well, so. like, do you have any idea how, like, old he was? Um, Young. I'm not. I don't know. Young could mean anything. It, it, elementary? I want to say elementary school. Okay. Or, you know, right around there. Not high school. He was on the younger side. Sure. So he came to know um, a gentleman named Tom Spoda, who who had kind of an affection for him um, and they kept in touch over the years. Tom Spoda subsequently went on to become the DA. Um, and so that is one of his, how he got, how it, that friendship came to, to be. And didn't you say, what was it with the case? There was an involvement. Yes. He was charged with um, Spoda. Spoda was charged and went to jail for a cover up in this trial of James Burke related to the stealing of the duffel bag and the assault. What a crazy thing to go to trial for. Yeah. Isn't that like, that must've been so embarrassing. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So, I mean, it's not ruled out too. I mean, I don't know. People have always discussed, and I'm sorry if I sound like I'm far away. My cat keeps trying to get at my microphone. So just full transparency. Um, a lot of people speculate that there's more than one Long Island serial killer. It's not impossible, but I've never felt in my gut that that's what it is. I kind of feel like it's one person. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see through, you know, going through all of Rex Hearman's belongings, um, yes. computers, etc., fake email accounts. Um, if he knows anyone that we've heard of in the course of researching this story and hearing about this story over the years, I'm very, very interested to see what comes out of all of this. I would say that we're all very interested in, in seeing, you know, like, do they uncover any other links to other people? Did other people know? I mean, this guy kind of sounds like a dope, right? Yeah. With all his burners and stuff. And all that was missing is someone to just kind of like ID the car because that's what got it rolling. It was just like the lack of witnesses because 
just to paint a picture, Ocean Ocean State Parkway? Ocean, yeah. Ocean, Ocean Parkway. Parkway. Do I live here or what? Like, I just keep making up words of places. It's It's kind of remote. Like, if it's not, like, summer and, like, the beach during the day, you're not really finding a lot of people riding up and down. So, dumping a body there, it's also, like... The vegetation is like bristly and like prickly and it's swampy. So there's a lot of like, I can't, the thing that's, that's weird to me is I can't imagine this giant man kind of like in the middle of the night, he's not like, he doesn't look like he's in shape, but he's having to do all this stuff. You know, he's like huffing and puffing, trying to like, you know, unfortunately move these victims into this area. And he's like, like on the side of the road and like no one ever saw. And I mean, like I said, it is remote, but just like, really? I mean, it's so in, I could see how it is, as you said, very remote. I could, and in very dark at night, very, um, very dark. at There's night. nothing around just to describe it for you. It is just basically a strip that runs alongside the beach. Right. Um, And the other side is another body of water. The, Bay, or I'm not exactly sure. Um, like an inlet, maybe? Something yeah, like that? something like that. Um, I don't know beach terms. And, you know, at night, you don't, you, you could very well get lucky and not come across another person while you're doing that if you do it quickly. But then there's always the chance that, you know, you could encounter a car that would see a car on right. the side of the road and think that's strange because you would definitely think it's strange you if would you saw a car definitely on the strange. side of the road. But also, you got to yeah. think the minute. The minute he parks, he's on he's on a timer because anyone could drive by. Absolutely. Right? So the minute he parked his car from whatever else he has to do, whatever maneuvers he has to make, and it's not just the one time because, like we said, people can drive by there, but it's multiple times he's returned to the same place. And I did map it from his house to Gilgo Beach. And it's directly across this kind of like inlet. So he could just, if he wanted to, like drive to the water by his house and almost be looking right across another body of water right at this dumping ground. Right. It's right there. So sick. It's It's, basically right across. Right. And that's another thing I was saying too about, it's always something that we say, you know, people who are interested in true crime, when you talk about and you theorize and you say, you know, so-and-so still lived in their community after they did this. Isn't that wild? Like the ego and it's very ballsy and whatever, but it really extra hit me in this case, because I know kind of like what small town kind of atmosphere there is. And it's just very strange that he went about his whole life to me just being in this, where he lives, you know, like the other thing is, as we know, it's common knowledge. Serial killers don't stop. They don't stop. They stop for periods of time, but they don't just stop. So when we didn't have any breaks in this case for a long time and we didn't have any any new remains found or anything like that, I assumed he was dead. He moved away. He was very sick, right? But turns out this motherfucker is just walking around eating pizza in Manhattan. Right. Riding the train. He's hiding in plain sight. Hiding in plain sight. Looking like he has plastic skin. I don't know what that's about. But where are the bodies? There are more bodies somewhere. 
Gotta be. They're, in my opinion, they're ha- absolutely have to be. And I know they're looking at him now for some unsolved murders in um, Atlantic City. Um, I am sure they are. He has ties to South Carolina. I know he owns a property in South Carolina. He does? He does. Oh, shit. He was planning on retiring there with his brother, Craig. Not anymore. Sorry, Craig. He won't be. He won't be showing up. So that's allegedly. I just had to throw in another allegedly. Um, yeah. So they're searching all of these areas. He also has ties to Las Vegas. I'm not sure how, but they're 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 just they're going through everything at this point with a fine tooth comb to try to uncover everything that they can on him, on his comings and goings, and anything wow. else he might have done. Wow. So there's a. That's a lot. There's a lot of information. What I thought was funny is when this came out, the first day, no, because he was arraigned, he was uh, arrested on a Monday, well, okay, Friday, and taken into court and arraigned that day. No, was he arrested Thursday night? I thought it was Friday morning, but it could have been. It's neither here nor there. What, at the end of the day, my cat is going to scratch in the litter box. Right at this moment. Thank you very much for that. Um, the lawyer was like, I can't really discuss it, but everything's very circumstantial. And let me put this to you, listeners. Does this sound circumstantial to you? Doesn't sound circumstantial to me. Some of it. Some of it, yeah. But when you put it all together, not the DNA. Yes. Not the DNA. The other parts. Right. Not the DNA. Well, I mean, you could say that of any case, right? And Every case has certain circumstances. Anyone could have a creepy components. doll. Anyone right. could have a Chevy Avalanche and Anyone a creepy doll. Anyone could be a commuter to Manhattan at the same exact times that the victim's phones are hitting right next to where they sure, are. Sure, but not everyone is going to belong to Haplo Group, Tony Hawk, or whatever that was that we talked about before. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of information. We talked at you a lot. I hope that you learned something. Um, wow. That's, <laughs> we really covered a lot of ground. Do you have any other, anything you want to add? There's so much that I feel like, as much as we talked about, there are still things that we didn't talk about. There's so much that we didn't even touch on that we can discuss more at a later date because there are just so many more important things to to go through at this point right and they're like like i said this is is this is well it's been a long day everyone this is one of those things where you do have to wait and see because things will come out things will change there will be plot twists there will be duffel bags maybe full of less horrible things or more horrible things we don't know yet we'll see and how um, great for the families that have been waiting all of this time to find out who this person allegedly allegedly is, is. and um, hopefully they can get some justice because it seems like the state has an incredible case. Yeah, and I really monster. hope. Yes, I. With that being said, I really do hope they're able to link um, this to other victims as well. So more people can kind of, and I hate to say justice because justice doesn't bring them back. It doesn't undo what was done, but to have some kind of closure, I guess, is the better word. Um, And they don't have to look anymore. Right. You know? Right. So as sad as that is, you know, I'm sure closure is nice to an extent. But yeah, that's, uh, that's what we got so far. Anything else? That's it? Nothing for today. All right. Well, that's all, folks. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to True Crime Time. I'll see you later. Bye.